Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This presentation is brought to you by Jewel Publications, a subsidiary of the House of Jewels. Welcome to the Science of Melanology, presented by Dr. Jewel Cooperum, M.D., microbiologist, preventative medicine, and hygiene physician, and Dr. Timothy Owens-Moore, biomedical researcher, psychological psychologist, and professor. The House of Jewels is committed to teaching you information about the science of life and living. For additional information, books, MP3s, natural time calendars, and to register for the Balancing Program, please visit our website at www.thejewelnetwork.com. Any unauthorized use or duplication of this material is strictly prohibited. Thank you, and enjoy your presentation. Well, hi, everybody. How are you? And this is the Jewel Network, and I am your host, Dr. Jewel. And as you know, our co-host, Tionz Moore, will be with us a little later on in the month. But I have a lot of wonderful things to share with you, and today we're going to talk about something that is so important. It is the essence of everything, and that is what? Light. Light. But, of course, because it is the essence of everything, there is an innumerable amount of ways we can discuss it. As a matter of fact, everything that we discuss, literally from food to clothing to astro traveling, space traveling, to making a dress, all are associated with light. We're talking about light. And so this is going to become much, much clearer to each and every one of us as we move more into the 21st century. We finally figured it out that the quintessential of our reality is based on the building block of light and its photon activity, and we'll be even moving in deeper beyond the uh, quantum at some point in this century uh, in relationship to understanding what this phenomenon is known as light that is directly parallel and associated with its animation component known as life. So without further ado, let's talk about this. Now, of course, you know, my Straight from the Heart chat will be available, and that is so cute. It's wonderful. So visit the e-store. It's going to be arriving any moment, as well as the revised version of Vitamins and Minerals to A to Z with Ethno-Consciousness. And, of course, our next book, Vitamins and Minerals for Melanin. Right, because we know the truth now. The truth is there's no such thing as race. And each and every one of us are going to have to work on our thinking, work on our mind, because we have had such an overlay, an imprinting, that to think that we are constantly looking at people who are from a different race. We are not doing that. We are looking at people who are genetically expressing different characteristics and attributes that are informing us as to how they are modulating biological tissues relative to the visual light spectrum. This is very important to understand. 
Now, obviously, people who are pheomelanated versus eumelanated, et cetera, have different wavelengths of light in common. And so, obviously, being on the same frequency, there's a tendency very much, very easily to think alike. Rupert Sheldrake talks about this. It's called morphic resonance. And, obviously, they're naturally attracted to each other because they're really only looking at themselves. That is them. So, therefore, they group together. They do everything together. However, it still does not change the fact that it is one species. The human species, we know for a fact that 99.9% of all of the genes that are responsible at this moment for creating the species as we know as humanity are exactly the same. One-tenth of a percent gives us this huge variation. Now, that may sound very small to you, but when we talk about a gene and a chromosome and all of the millions of genes on one chromosome, one-tenth of a percent has tremendous variation, and we see that. We know that for a fact this genetic variation is based on environmental influences and primarily states of consciousness. Those are the premier players on the keyboard of genetics and genes. So this is what we have to remember, and we're going to talk about something very unique today in regards to life. And as I continuously study, I always go back and ask myself, okay, if I was 100% eumelanated, expressing to the greatest potential melanin, which would make me maybe blue-black, how would I interact with this same situation, or how would I view this same picture as opposed to if I was pheomelanated or melanin-recessive? And so, again, what has to happen in the human species on planet Earth very, very soon, because a lot of the information is already available, is that we have to recalibrate health in different variants of the same species. This is very important. So we cannot have a cross-the-board, one-level standard of health when we have such a diversification and variance in the one species. So we have large enough populations of each variant where we can easily standardize their configuration, composition, and healthy standards so that wherever they may appear on the planet, it is known what their standard is, and they are tested and evaluated relative to their standard. So, you know, I used to often wonder as I started to studying, how in the world can veterinary medicine be so advanced and be so evolved in their thinking relative to the care of the canine species, and yet still humans be so limited and restricted in accepting variation in the same species. I had the honor of having just a really cute little Yorkie, Yorkshire Terrier, Poodle, Australian Shepherd, Great Pyrenees, just obviously from the teeny-weeny to the very large dogs. And the standards that I had to be aware of and maintain for each one of these dogs was amazing. My little teeny Yorkshire Terrier, its little weakness was its teeth. If you want to have a healthy Yorkshire Terrier, you have to take care of their little teeth because if they start losing their teeth and they can't easily shed them, then obviously just like in humans, their quality of health 
diminishes significantly because obviously they cannot masticate their food, which means that their digestive tract really will not be able to extract the nutrients necessary to sustain their tissues. As opposed to my Australian shepherd, we have hip dysgenesis, hip dysplasia, where you have to basically watch out for their pelvis. And I just thought that was the difference. There's sturdy dogs, et cetera, but that pelvis, just as in the larger dogs, Great Danes, a lot of joint disease. And the bigger the dog, unfortunately, the shorter the lifespan, which has never really been discovered, but we find that when we really pay attention to their diet and mediate the amount of protein they get, they can live 15, 20 years as opposed to the standard 10. So now... They're all fuzzy, most of them have hair or either fur, okay, there are a few hairless breeds, they all walk on fours, they have two eyes, you know, usually two ears, etc. and yet and still these known standards are present in this one species of animal, but yet and still here we are, humanity, the highest evolved species on the planet, the largest brain capacity, etc. and we have one standard for all of these variants. And I saw this when I practiced in uh, Jamaica. I was astounded that here we are, we had European melanin recessive individuals from Europe making diagnoses and running tests and treating eumelanated Jamaicans for diseases that in no way would ever occur there. You know, the problem that they would have with, you know, bone dysplasia, osteoporotic diseases. I mean, you have to be locked away if there's a basement in Jamaica. I don't think so. It's a big rock. And so, therefore, you'd have to be locked away in a closet somewhere. There's so much sunshine. And to be melanin dominant, you automatically are going to be making vitamin D. You're going to have some level. They just don't have those kind of diseases. But to make those kind of diagnoses, I saw that there at the University of West Indies, I was astounded. I was like, there's a serious problem here, a serious problem because just the nature of the disease when you read the description of it, where it was diagnosed, the population that they saw this in, that is no way that it can be overlaid on individuals who have a totally different environment. So it's very, very important as we move into the 21st century that we're going to have to redefine based on melanin activity the different standards for health and illness in the different variants of our one species. So we know that melanin recessive individuals have a different bone density. They have different hemoglobin content, the number of white blood cells, red blood cells. They definitely vary from melanin-dominant individuals. This has been established since the 50s. You know, University of Michigan is one of the main warehouses for this ethnocentric awareness of health and illness. So their department, I think it may be phased in now with human anthropology and human ecology, uh, has been phased into another department. But I had the privilege of meeting uh, one of their professor emeritus years ago, Dr. Stanley Garn, who shared with me a tremendous amount of information that he's collected over the last 45 years in species race variants variation. So with that, that means that we have to look at everything differently, okay? So we're looking at the amount of melanin activity, that is chromosome number 11, gene number 
six, the TYR gene activity, that's what we're looking at when we look at the variation in skin color. And also we're looking at the metabolism of the cells relative to tyrosine and the other amino acids that cause melanin to vary. Now, there's a very interesting article that came out. I recommend everybody uh, buy this magazine. It's interesting. In a Scientific America Mind, okay, they had a really nice little gift here, and it's entitled The 169 Best Illusions. And what they're talking about is the eye and how the eye perceives images in life. And it is so amazing to recognize here how just change in color can totally make a standardized image look totally different. And obviously the brain reads this differently. So if a person has an amelanated eye, and obviously this happens in individuals with the severe melanin recessive disorder known as albinism, and what happens to individuals who are eumelanated and have literally the jet black eye, how do they see reality? And we have populations large enough of each where this can be standardized and tested and know that there are certain things that people will or will not see based on the melanin content in the rods and cones of the eye. It's very interesting. Our pheomelanated uh, sisters and brothers who live on the island known as Japan have spent a lot of time in that area. And as you know, their eyes are uh, eumelanated. They normally have very dark eyes, and so the rods and cones are heavily melanated. And so from their perspective, they've been able to do some interesting tests. Now, there's something very interesting because they've done a lot of work with what? color blindness. And there are many individuals, especially in the melanin recessive variant of our race family that have problems seeing certain colors. And so obviously individuals who do not have proper firing of the rods and cones and the melanin is not completely functioning or the density of the melanin is low these individuals definitely may not be able to see certain colors. Now, that is just a propensity, and can that be changed? Well, of course it can, because it's just about a gene, and it's about either turning it up in function or turning it off if need be, okay, or activating another gene. But it's so amazing just to recognize that to put a bunch of colors together and depending upon the activity of the rods and cones of the eye, that is your capacity to interact with the visual light spectrum will determine if you can see certain images or not. So I'm looking at a diagram here in this article on page 25, and the way that they have the color spots, my eye can definitely see because it's a, a green, deep green, aqua color spot combination, a pink and tan number six. However, individuals who are not able to have that level of discernment because the rods and cones are not able to recognize literally based on what's transmitted to the brain, this differentiation in this quality of color will not actually see this number six image in the collection of colored dots. So let's just go back and review for a minute the eye and what happens when light hits it because this is very important that everybody doesn't see the same way 
and everybody then will not have the same perception of a reality because of this. And this is based on the amount of melanin activity that is in the eye, the rods and cones, which also then determines and transmits information to the neurons of the brain, as well as melanin content in the brain. So not only do we have to have standards for blood chemistry, we also have to have visual standards, okay, that are very, very important because now we know that one individual seeing an object and examining it, they may not be able to discern and to differentiate all of the details and all of the information there if the present and standard condition of the eye and brain do not have the biological attributes to allow that to happen. So are we going to spend a lifelong debate as to what is there and what isn't there? And the answer need not be that when we accept the fact that it's just like a bat that has accentuating capabilities to hear where people who do not have this particular capability will not hear what a bat hears, and we accept that. We've got to begin to accept our uniqueness as a animal species and to then accept the uniqueness that varies in the group within our one race family. We have to begin to do that. This is the Melanology Show hosted to you by the Jewel Network, justifiably enchanted with enlightened living, dedicated and devoted to broadcasting the science of life and living. You are listening to the Melanology Show. I'm your host, Dr. Jewel, and today we've been talking about color, melanin content, the diversification in our one race family as a species and how that affects the capacity to discern color and images. And therefore, that requires a new standardization on how groups of individuals based on melanin function and activity are able to discern light and its respective images. Very, very important. So as I said, I wanted to just go back and remind you again about this specific organ, an extension of the brain known as the eye, and how it interacts with the full light spectrum. As you know, unfortunately, and that's what I'm talking about today, so many of us take for granted that light that permeates our environment and how it is responsible for everything that we can see, obviously hear, feel, taste, and touch, these are all associated with light, are still not deeply appreciated relative to our melanin activity. Now, again, I will say this, that all humans have the exact same DNA with a variation of one-tenth percent. So this huge variation that we see, this diversification, is based on this one-tenth percent activity, which contains thousands and thousands and thousands of genes, which is why we have this wonderful variation, even though we are one species. There's only one race, and this is the century that we have to get over the perception of race, etc. You're not looking at that. What you're looking at is how an individual is expressing the full light spectrum through living tissue. That's all you're looking at. But all humans have the exact same DNA with a variation of one-tenth percent. We all come from the same source, and so what you're looking at, which you think may be extreme, 
is variation in melanin content and melanin activity. But all life, all life, all human life is dependent upon melanin, all life. Even if you have the disease albinism, you are still dependent on melanin. So it's very important to understand how this very important substance that modulates light and energy throughout your body, how it functions. So it doesn't matter per se how much you have. It's your knowledge of what it is and your capability to utilize it and communicate with it in such a way that you get maximum effect and maximum benefit. We know that. I mean, there's an old adage in finance that says it's not necessarily at all how much money you have. It's to know what to do with what you have that makes the difference. This is the same thing rule with melanin. So we've got to get busy here not judging it. We've talked about this in previous shows. Judging the melanin automatically shuts it down. This is very important. Anybody who has a supremacy attitude about their melanin content shuts down the function of their melanin. So if you think that not having melanin is supreme and makes you better, well, guess what? You don't have it because just that attitude is looked at as an attack upon this biological substance and you diminish its effect significantly. If you think that having too much is really a problem and a burden and it's held you back, well, guess what? It is not functioning in your behalf because your attitude is an attack upon this polymer and therefore its capabilities definitely are diminished. We suspect from all the research that most people only have immune functioning capabilities and it is melanin that actually controls. It is the master controller of the immune system. Most people's melanin only works 30% or less. Can you imagine that even if you were suffering from albinism, if you had a favorable rapport with your melanin, totally self-accepting and out of judgment and criticism about your unique presentation, your melanin would work at its optimal capacity, which would give you full immune capabilities. Now, this research was done in the late 70s and 80s and has all been published. Attitude will definitely enhance melanin under all circumstances or diminish its function, almost make it inert. So all humans are melanin-dependent, whether you're suffering from albinism or you are demelanated, you're suffering from demelanation, okay, to the extent that you are native blue black, if you think that's suffering. So let's move on here. Light consists of many frequencies of photon activity. That's what we're looking at. So therefore we have electric waves, we have radio waves, we have infrared, short waves, infrared, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and ultraviolet. We have seven levels of ultraviolet. Each one of these master frequencies here, we have basically seven levels. We have X-ray, gamma rays, cosmic waves, and TV waves. Now, these all form what we know as the full light spectrum. Now, most people are not able to see beyond visible light and that's somewhere between 400 to 750 nanometers 
However, there's far more light available, and, you know, later on through other shows, we're going to talk about the fact that here in the 21st century, the amount of gamma rays, X-rays, UV light, radio waves, TV waves, they have all increased in the atmosphere. This is why people are jumping up and down so concerned about the thickness of our atmosphere and, you know, our, our hydrocarbons bring a hole in it where we don't have the filtering system to filter this light. Well, you know, the key here is, is that that was known to happen for over 10,000 years. And so it was a known fact that we were going to have more light coming to planet Earth. So we have entered into a belt of light in our solar system that in the 70s began to impart far more of the electromagnetic spectrum and upon Earth. So instead of being so concerned here about atmosphere and the layers, why did not we focus on the fact that what do we need to do to support ourselves to adjust? Every animal, every plant, every rock, every granule of dirt is adjusting to the increase in exposure to the electromagnetic spectrum. Why have we accepted in our minds that we cannot adjust, that here we are, poor victims, and now we have to be concerned that, you know, if the cloud layer, the atmosphere gets any thinner, that it's going to impart disease to us. That is a distortion, and it is a very detrimental perception of yourself. Regardless of whether you are melanin recessive, regardless of whether you are suffering from albinism, or if you are melanin dominant, totally eumelanated, the key here is you've got to become integrated with and conscious of your melanin to allow it to rev up your capacities to interact with more of the full electromagnetic spectrum, which is what we're being exposed to. So you have to understand, why would someone who is navy blue black succumb to AIDS, virus, Ebola virus, Legionnaire's disease? It just doesn't make sense when the research shows that there is no virus, no fungus, no bacteria that can exist in the presence of fully activated melanin. It doesn't happen. So how do you have someone that is navy blue black? I call that Senegalese black. Beautiful and they can succumb to a virus. Well, the key here is is that we know that their melanin activity is very, very low. Yes, they may have a lot of melanin, but it's inert. It is not functioning. It is not modulating. It is not circulating. It is not circulating the full spectrum of light, the electromagnetic frequencies that it can. All melanin functions as a superconductor, and that is not the capacity of melanin that is not being held healthfully in the consciousness of its owner. It doesn't happen. So, therefore, we are very much aware of the fact that in this century, we've got to change our attitude toward melanin and make the amount that we have work for us. We must decide that we will not use this as a divisionary tool any longer. We must decide that we will not do this because what? Your life depends on it. We know for a fact that human tissue is immortal. Human tissue is immortal. So therefore, whether you are melanin recessive or melanin dominant, you're supposed to be here indefinitely. But you cannot sustain healthy tissue when you have attitudes 
that chemically translated by the neurons of your brain produce such acidity, such extreme alkalinity in your bloodstream, the normal milieu of metabolic processes that have to occur in every cell is immediately shut down. And we as scientists know that. We know that if we want certain reactions to occur, the environment has to be a specific pH. And we know ideally that when we can maintain a neutral pH, none of the basic reactions that sustain life are inhibited. So a neutral pH requires what? <laughs> Obviously, a neutrality in attitude. It requires a focus of that person's attention and the capacity to be not in judgment about that focus or anything else. You can maintain a neutral bloodstream, which is necessary. And that is the ideal environment for melanin. Regardless of the amount that you have, it will function at its optimum when it is not saturated with criticism and judgment, which then alters the neutrality of the bloodstream. It alters it. So now since we know that we are moving into an area, or should I say era, in our time where we are being exposed to more light, and we have systems in every cell of the body that will allow us to interact and modulate with all of these frequencies of light if we would just acknowledge them and turn them on. The carbial, the microtubule system is built into every cell that we can actually process each one of these frequencies of light, these wavelengths. But no one's teaching you about the cable left. It looks just like the cable in your house, the cable system that you have. You have the same thing in your body, and nobody's told you that. So therefore, your fear of X-ray, cosmic waves, of UV light, etc., is a reflection of your ignorance about the ultrastructure of your own cells. And so, obviously, it's just like a little baby. We protect the child from the things that we know that they're not able to master at the moment, but we also then educate them and enlighten them so that as their brain capability matures, which then is leveraged through the capabilities and actions of the physical body, they can now become masters of the same experience that in ignorance would have or could have become lethal. And this is the same situation for us. Are we as adult human beings going to consist, continue to attack an aspect of ourselves that is so, so important for our survival? Well, I think a lot of you, and I just don't believe that you are going to continue this any longer. Self-acceptance is the key to self-mastery. And again, if you are alive, you can hear me, you can see whatever it is you can see, you can walk, you can talk, etc. then you have the capacity to be a master of self, and it's learning that. That is so important. It's about learning that you are here to become a master of self. So that understanding, then, let's move forward here. So it's very important to recognize that one of the most important organs to receive light into our body as well as our skin is the eyeball. Now, this is very, very important, and the eyeball also offers what? A very, very important form of nutrition. Now, remember, we, I started the show out saying that light is everything. It's everything. It is the shoe that you're wearing, the dress or the slack that you have on, 
It is your skin. It's the chair you're sitting in. It is the building that you're in. It is the cars passing outside, the subway you may be on, etc. Believe it or not, all of this is made of light. And when light is in constant change in a biological process, we call that life. And so, therefore, a changing system has to continuously be what? Imbued with light. Imbued with light. And thank goodness we have very many different ways of being able to do that in nutrition. We can do that directly through our skin. And also we feed ourselves through the eyeball, the full spectrum of light taken in directly to the brain. So, you know, there's lots of research on seasonal affective disorders, et cetera, and why when certain frequencies of light are diminished, individuals have a change in brain function, which registers in the body as a change in consciousness. Yes, so understand light is also food, and pure light taken directly through the eyeball is a major form of nutrition. Now, I'm going to share this with you just really, really quickly here. Something that I do to just maintain balance, and it works so well, is the fact that we really know when we want to be sensible, when we've reached a saturation point, and we know that we don't need to do that again. Okay, it's called moderation. It's called balance. called reasonability. And so it's like if I see a piece of cake and the way that it may be uh, displayed in the bakery window, I mean, it's just gorgeous. It's just tantalizing. It's fabulous. I mean, who wouldn't want to go in and buy the cake or buy a slice of it at least, et cetera? I mean, fabulous display capability. So I recognize it's like, okay, well, you've already had enough of this today. But obviously the brain is like, we would really like to have that. And I was like, okay, good. So what do I do? I have a slice of the cake visually because you have to remember it's all about light. So therefore, I can literally consume this beautiful cake visually by really focusing on it and looking at it. And the sensations that I have, the taste that I presume that I would have with it, it literally allows the satiety center in my brain literally to be diminished, you know, because that's how we get these urges to eat. So, therefore, it becomes quiet, and, therefore, I've had enough of the cake when that happens after I really focus on it, and I have no desire to actually physically want to buy it. Therefore, obviously, there's zero calories. There's no wear and tear at all on my digestive tract. I don't have to chew it well so that my saliva fully mixes with it. As you know, that's the first phase of digestion for carbohydrates is saliva in the mouth chewing. That's why it's so important. I don't have to be concerned about whether the gastric juices are going to have to be secreted. I don't have to deal with all the things that go on in the small intestines. And then I don't have to be concerned about it being concentrated, the water being absorbed, and it be formed into a form stool and eliminate from my body. I don't have to deal with any of that. I can just literally align myself with the light frequency emitted from that beautiful creation that we call a cake, absorb that, and I am just totally satisfied. It's amazing. And you don't feel deprived at all. You enjoy the beauty of it. It really tasted well in the mind, okay? You've got the full absorption of that light transferred to your body, and now you can move forward. So these are just things that one can do for oneself 
when they understand the basis of what they're dealing with at all times, which is life. So you've tuned in to Jewel Network, Justified Reenchanted with Enlightened Living, and the Jewel Network is dedicated to broadcasting the science of life and living. You're listening to Dr. Jewel, and this is the Melanology Hour. My co-host, Dr. Tion Moore, will join us as usual at the end of the month, and I'm here today talking to you about, believe it or not, color and the eyeball relative to melanin content and the content of the rods and cones. So we've done a whole pan vision of this concept here today, but we are definitely talking about the fact that rods and cones that contain photoreceptors that are full of melanin to a greater or lesser extent determines how we will see colored images. And therefore, because we know that we have such a wonderful diversification in the one race known as the human race, there are no other races, there's only one race that's the human race with variants. And the variance is defined by the production and the utilization of that pan biopolymer, the mediator and the modulator of light throughout your body and energy known as melanin. All of the human race is melanin dominant. You cannot live without this substance. So how much you have is not really an issue as much as how well do you know about it and how well are you integrated with it so that you get optimal activity from it. So too many people have a lot of it and know nothing about it and have no rapport with it and it does very little for them. We have many people who have not a lot. We refer to them as melanin recessive but their capabilities and interaction with the amount of melanin that they have is quite effective. And we know that melanin, when it is brought into one's attention, will do whatever is commanded of it. It is directed to do. It is the conductor of all of the systems of the body, so it can also be stimulated to increase in amount. It's very interesting. You know, I was in New York, And I was just amazed, and I'm so glad to see that, that so many what initially would have been defined as melanin-recessive individuals are producing more melanin. And that's great because the key here is we are to be able to absorb and interact with all of this fabulous light that's now hitting the planet. To be concerned about the ozone layer is not as important as being concerned about what is my rapport with my melanin. How can I ensure that the amount of melanin that I have is working in my behalf to allow me to continue to enjoy my life, to be free of disease, and to totally interact and master my environment? That is the bigger question. And so as I saw so many more melanin-recessive individuals who really are not melanin-recessive anymore have more melanin, I was like, that is just really great because now the concern is not about the ozone layer. It's about using their biological capabilities, i.e. melanin, to be able to sustain their immune system, to sustain the health of their cells. And the big gift this lifetime is that with those individuals who are willing to do that, 
they will have a much, much longer lifespan because we know immortality is the natural state of affairs for the cells of the human body, okay? But just like anything, if it is not in an environment that supports its longevity, the consciousness of the individual does not support longevity, then no tissue, regardless of what its attributes may be, can be sustained indefinitely in an attitudinal environment that doesn't see that capability for itself. And this is what we have to begin to understand. So with that, let me just uh, take you through the rise and cones. For this is such an interesting subject, I tell you, because how they have demonstrated how just the addition or the deletion of a color can totally change the reality of what you're seeing is incredible. And so, therefore, individuals who have highly melanated brows and cones and very dark eyes definitely see things differently than individuals who have hazel or a melanated retina. There's no question about that. So we can't continuously project upon everybody a standard of what things should look like or can be. We cannot do that. Of course, we have to have... Um, a agreement where we know that there are certain things that one has to be able to identify so that they don't bring harm to others, i.e., you have to be able to see objects so you can drive, you know, you have to be able to see the street lights, et cetera, and this is a, a problem with individuals who are colorblind not being able to distinguish reds and greens as far as the street lights go. But we'll talk about that at a later date. But just to put this out here, I think this is very humorous. The Rubik's Cube, if you remember the Rubik's Cube, Okay, what they have found that, you know, the Rubik's Cube, you know, your, the key was to be able to make every side the same color. But what a lot of people didn't recognize as part of the trick with the Rubik's Cube because it is also an optical illusion is the fact that in certain wavelengths of light and how those wavelengths strike the cube, the brain sees the color of the squares differently. So... If individuals are not astute about that, when they're trying to solve this cube, it depends on the type of light in the environment they were working under because the color that they thought that they may be seeing is not the color at all. And so that's why they couldn't ever get the sides to match. That was amazing. So they actually make this very clear here. So it says here, as this illusion that was actually demonstrated by someone in Drake University, that if the light changes, it can be hard to know which color is which. So therefore, they change the light and they recognize that, for example, the blue squares on, uh, on the cube, when the light is changed, actually are gray under white light. So color perception is not based strictly on the wavelength of the light that strikes your retina, okay? Instead, the brain assigns colors based on the lighting condition and uses the wavelength only as a guideline to determine which objects are redder or bluer than others in the same scene. Now, this moves us to a different alligator, okay, because we have also found out that cultural beliefs that when they are used and dominated in an environment will change the brain's perception of wavelengths of light, even though the true wavelength can be there. So therefore, we have individuals who are melanin dominant, have the eye is melanin dominant, but if they are raised in an environment amongst a group of people who have melanin recessive eyes, 
how the melanin recessive individuals see their environment will be assimilated by the individual who has melanin dominant eyes. So you have to understand then that even though that individual has the capacity to see things differently, they are learning based on their environment, based on what everyone else sees, to see that way even though that may not express the full capabilities of the capability that the individual has to see things differently. And so we know that this is true, okay? We can look at individuals culturally and we recognize how they use color is very different. I did not grow up in an environment where we use full, vivid, intense colors of the visual light spectrum. So therefore, to have a garment that consists of purple, yellow, green, and red was quite unique to me. To see all of those colors on one garment, a skirt, and a top was very unique. I was like, wow, that is like really amazing. However, those cultures where their melanin-dominant eyeballs are so used to seeing in full wavelengths like that, their colors, all their clothes are like that. We see that in climates where the sun is radiant and the temperatures are quite warm. So throughout Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, also in Polynesian areas, you see these vivid, vivid combinations of color. And if you're coming from the north where the rays of the sun are not as intense and not as direct, etc., you do not see colors of that nature. And if you've grown up in that environment, even though you have the capabilities of the rods and cones to perceive these colors, it will look, it will register to the brain to look quite different and unique, shocking. Depends on your exposure with comments, okay? You may not even like garments that have these full-spectrum wavelengths on them, and that's a bias, and that's also learned. So, again, we're going to have to let go, everybody, and we're going to have to really start learning how to be able to see again, to really be again with ourselves in full consciousness of utilizing and developing the amount of melanin that we have to its greatest capacity and to be comfortable with letting individuals who we see have different contents of melanin share with us what their melanin is allowing them to experience in that event. We've got to be able to do that, and we cannot continuously dictate to different cultures our reality when we know that our environment has been uniquely different. cannot do that. What we can do is share the events and enjoy the uniqueness of how we can be in different, but we can't just say anymore, you're right and I'm wrong or I'm wrong and you're right. cannot be because of how we've trained our brain to absorb and interact with light based on the variation of our melanin. It's very, very important. And once we can come to that realization, recognizing that there's only one race, there's only variation in the race family based on melanin utilization. Now we're going to be what I call a swinging, swinging species on this planet. We're going to get a lot done and be able to do all kind of things with all kind of variation and be really comfortable with that. I think that's incredible. So this is just so intriguing. I wish I could just 
project to you these different comparisons of pictures that all they have done is just change the wavelength of light and the whole image is just totally different. And some of what we think we see these images are not even there, okay, because of just the overlay of color based on brainwave patterns and the absorption through our rods and cones. It really varies. I just want to say they have something really cute here called lights of sapphires. And it's just a grid, but at the cross points on the grid, they put little supposedly blue sapphires. And when you look at it, it's supposed to make the entire grid scintillate. So all of a sudden, the blue turns white and the white turns blue, and so it looks like the grid is actually sparkling. Now, what I thought was so interesting is that when I began to look at it, I didn't see any scintillation at all. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Why would they say that this grid is scintillating? I just didn't see it at all. I saw gray interconnecting lines with little blue dots at the grid point, the merging grid point. And it took me a very, very long time before I could see where they were talking about the periphery would actually fade out and become blue. So I was like, well, that's like just very, very interesting. And the things that I know that I have done to my brain and how I have taught myself to interact with light totally changes what other people may perceive because they have not uh, intentionally focused on altering and developing and growing certain areas of the brain, which means that the eyeball, obviously the largest nerve directly exposed to the outer environment, is going to function differently, and that's the case here. So we've got to begin to become much more comfortable with variation in individuals, variation in groups, and not feel the need to segregate based on one particular attribute and definitely not give it a value that it's good or bad or right or wrong. All that's over now in the 21st century. And if you want to actualize your immortality, you must learn how to be able to maintain a neutral blood quality and judgment and criticism doesn't do that. Only discernment and discrimination relative to your destiny or focus at any particular time. This is the Jewel Network, Justifiably Enchanted with Enlightened Living. We are devoted to broadcasting the science of life and living. And you are tuned in to the Melanology Show. This show was created to bring to you all of the science. There is so much research that has been done on melanin, and most individuals know nothing about it. Your environment has only leveraged the word melanin and skin color in a way that has basically separated you from yourself and others. And moving into the 21st century, that cannot be because each and every human being needs to be comfortable with, totally aligned with, and in control of their melanin. You must do that because this is the gift that's being given to you. We are increasing our frequency exposure. We're increasing the amount of light that we're modulating, and you've been given this fabulous gift, melanin, to allow you to do that. So whether you are suffering from albinism, as they described it, I don't necessarily agree with that, or you are to the extreme that you are severely melanin dominant, where you are navy blue black, the key is what is your rapport with your melanin? Everyone is melanin dependent. To be alive, you are melanin dependent. And so, therefore, whether you have a smaller amount, 
as an individual who have albinism or whether you have a huge amount, you're melanin dominant, what is your rapport with your melanin? When have you said, good morning, melanin, how are you? Thank you for modulating the entire electromagnetic spectrum for me today. What is going to be the main frequency and wavelength that we're going to vibrate on today? And boy, what new frequencies are we going to absorb today since we have now moved into a new alignment with our galaxy? See, these are all the things that you should be in communication with yourself about and be really excited about the fact that you are absorbing much more of the electromagnetic light spectrum. And with this conversation with your melanin, it will oblige you. Remember, all melanocytes are modified nerve cells. Everybody has them in their skin. Whether they are active or not, they are there. And for those melanocytes who appear to be inactive, as those individuals who label themselves as albinos, that's only because you don't talk to them. you got to get busy communicating with them. Trust me, the poor changes everything. So don't let anybody tell you that you're just doomed and you're not going to be able to deal with the frequencies of light here. That is not true. If you were born, you have enough melanin for you to be able to do whatever is necessary, but you got to get intelligent here, smart, and receptive to yourself. That is the key. Boy, well, with that... My dear engineer, how are you? Thank you for working with me today. Do we have hands up and call us? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. Let's see. We do have a hand on the call log. We have it from Erico 212. Okay. Well, hello, Erico 212. How are you? I'm fine. Yourself, Dr. Jules? I'm fabulous. Thank you. You are always talking about the melanin? And I wanted to know, um, the melody, does it affect fair skin people too? Yeah, we'd like for you to definitely tune in and continue to listen. We have lots of archives because we talked about that. The key here, again, there is no human being that can exist without melanin. You have no melanin, you cannot live on planet Earth. Okay. And so why is that? Because every chromosome, every gene, every nucleus in your cell must covered with melanin so that the information therein is not distorted. So regardless of whether your skin being sheet white, you still have melanin. You are black on the inside. So therefore, knowing that you have melanin, the key here is what is your communication with it? Because we know for a fact it's not necessarily how much you have. It is how well you use the amount that you have. We're concerned about now because people are so polarized. They have spent their whole life being indoctrinated thinking that either having some or a moderate amount or an excessive amount is either good or bad, and that automatically shuts the functioning of melanin down. If you have thought that because you don't have a lot of melanin that that's good, then it's very dangerous for you because you have made a judgment about melanin and you have melanin and all the molecules, the polymers of melanin are aware of your thinking and you have now diminished their functioning. If you have lots of melanin and you think that that is a problem, it is a problem because the melanin knows that you are not in rapport with it and it doesn't function for you. It is very important for all of humanity, all of humanity, to first of all accept the fact that they have melanin, whether it's displayed in the skin or not. 
and for them to begin to establish a rapport with it because that is what is allowing all of the energy, all of the different spectrums of light to be modulated throughout your body. See, this right. is why we created this show because we recognize that most people don't know anything about melanin except from a very judgmental, a very destructive perception. And so this is necessary for the evolution of humanity on planet Earth. And that is why our ozone layer is thinning. This has been calculated for over 10,000 years that this was happening, that the increase in the amount of electromagnetic fields was going to be bombarding the Earth. And we were created to accommodate the change. So instead of basically being afraid, no one pointed us inward and said, okay, this is now the time that you've got to have a rapport with yourself. You've got to understand the cellular anatomy and be able to empower these organelles, these cells that have this attribute to allow you to adapt and accommodate the new position of planet Earth. Every fly, every animal, every plant, Every bacteria, every organism is making the transformation within themselves except humans because we have been illiterate about ourselves in general on a cellular level and we have allowed ourselves culturally to take on opinions and biases that have totally inactivated many attributes of our body, i.e. the immortality of the self. Our cells are immortal. We have people's cells in laboratories for decades, and their body has been gone, but the cells that were taken from them are still functioning, and it's a multi-billion-dollar business. Our cells, with our consciousness, being immortal. But the consciousness of humans right now is totally antagonistic to the health of the cell. That's why individuals are aging. That's why they're degenerating, because nobody ever taught them how to have a consciousness that supports the body that they can have indefinitely. So, therefore, please continue to listen to the Melanology Show because it is about having a rapport with your melanin regardless of how much you have. The key is, as I said earlier in the show, it's not how much you have, it's what do you know to do with what you have. That's the key. And if you know what to do with the amount that you have, you can do, be, and go anywhere. Same thing with money. You have a little money. That's not the issue. The key is what do you know to do with that because that little money will produce as much money as you want because there's no dollar bill that's not based upon a penny. There's no million dollars that's not based upon a penny. There's no trillion dollars that's not based upon a penny. So if you don't know how to manage and do not have a good rapport with pennies, it's going to be very difficult for you to then be a good shepherd for millions and trillions of dollars. But this is what people don't seem to understand, and they don't get the same concept about the cell. If you don't have a healthy rapport with your own cells, then how, with having septillions of cells that compose a human body, are you going to do well with the entire body? You're not. So the Melanology Show is to begin to ask you to change your perception about a critical constituent of your body, melanin, and to begin to embrace it, to begin to communicate with it so that it can allow you to make the adaptation on planet Earth that we are being asked to make at this time. Does that answer your question? Okay, I guess so. Okay, thank you, Engineer. Do we have any more callers for questions? 
No, there are no more callers with questions. There was a question earlier about the significance of melanin in sound. Okay. Let's see. I'm looking at something here. It says, uh, is it not true that, I guess they're saying eumelanin, uh, E-U-M-E-L-A-N-I-N is how you spell it, dominant beings hear a wider spectrum of frequencies as opposed to melanin receptive beings? And, yes, it is disregarded. Okay. Let me answer that question. I would have to answer that affirmatively because what I know for sure is that the strings on the string instrument that were found in, in Egypt are actually positioned and lined differently because the scale, the music scales are different because of the capacity of the ear to hear. And so even up until the 1800s, Philip Sousa, I think it's J. Philip Sousa, he was the, the march expert, okay, European, and he actually changed the scale. He actually changed the scale of music for marches because most of the people who played the instruments could not hear the original scale. So he changed it. He, he changed it. I, I'm lacking the proper uh, terminology here for that science of music. I don't know if he lowered it a quarter of an octave or whatever, but he changed the scale so that his ear range could accommodate what he heard relative to the marches that he wrote. J. Philip Sousa. Yeah, and he did that. So I know that the music scale that's being used now is not the original scales for music, and that's why it also doesn't create the same geometric formations that we know that many pure sounds can create. The music is definitely off. And, again, there are melanocytes in the ultrastructure of the ear and the hearing canal. And uh, individuals who are melanin recessive may not have as much melanin there as individuals who are melanin dominant. But, again, with training, anybody can do whatever they want. So I used that example before that there's a young man who is redheaded and has melanin recessive skin who's been studying with B.B. King. And he's been studying strings and guitar with B.B. King for over five years. He's been sitting with B.B. King every day. And so he entered a contest not long ago, and it was and he won. It was interesting. No one could ever have identified that this gentleman was playing this music because it sounded exactly like B.B. King. But he had to sit with him for five years and learn how to be able to tune, to expand, to align himself with the melanin, the amount that he had in his auditory system of the brain, to be able to hear those frequencies and then be able to reproduce them in his body. And it took him five years to do that. Now, we know there are many people who, you know, you can just, who are melanin dominant, and you can just go into the deep south, and they basically play the same way. They don't have to have this kind of intense duration for training. However, the point here is, is that this individual innately was not able to hear these notes that B.B. King was playing, and he could not modulate that through his muscular system to be able to repeat that on a set of strings. But over time, he established a rapport 
with the amount of melanin in his auditory system, and now he is able to produce sounds that five years ago he couldn't even hear. So this is my point, is that, you know, we don't have time to continuously judge other people about how they appear, the amount of melanin that they appear to have or not to have. For everybody to be able to be great and to advance this 21st century is going to require them to become totally self-accepting and to be totally invested in totally developing all attributes of their body. And so a person who has limited amounts of melanin, it appears, can nurture and develop that melanin to allow them to be able to be the master of their environment. So the timing is critical. And so individuals who know that they need more melanin, they must spend the time in communication with their melanin and stimulating it so they can do so. I didn't finish telling you the story, but I was in New York for the last couple of weeks here, finishing up. Yay! Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.